Uh, I want to make it a little, uh, I want to admit something right now. Uh, I'm, I'm really hoping I'm going to get through my whole talk tonight uh, because uh, I'm 55 years old and I played boot hockey for an hour and a half <laughs> with gazelles who are your children. <clears throat> Scored six goals. <laughs> maybe, it's four, maybe it's four goals. Totally cherry picking, standing in front. Little Ben is about this tall. Just, uh, this morning... Uh, we talked a little bit about the hurdles that kind of in our path as God calls us into our journey of faith. That there are these hurdles that if we don't get over that next, the first hurdle, we can't go on to the next hurdle. We kind of stay stuck. And, you know, some people are kind of walked out of that talk this morning going, I kind of like where I am. You know, I'm kind of fine. You know, why do I really need to get over where I am right now? Because I kind of like where I am right now. So... Leave me alone. Well, that's all well and good because a lot of Christians, a lot of followers of Jesus, a lot of people of faith just have that notion of kind of good to go. I know enough. I understand enough. I kind of, it kind of works for me the way I am. Here's the problem. That's all good for you, but that's not what God desires. God desires for something we can't even imagine. What we have now is but a glimpse of where God wants us to be and where God is calling us to be. And some of us need to kind of think about how that might work if we began to kind of take the risk and get over that next hurdle, face the challenge, that spiritual challenge that's a, a part of our life right now. That's why we did that guided meditation is that notion of saying that hurdle or burden or issue or concern or frustration or, or just life issues Sometimes we just need to kind of just hand them off. We just need to trust that maybe God really does want to take those from us and, and help us to deal with those and help us to cope better with them and you know, help us to get to that place, that next place where we kind of are growing into the fullness of his desire for us. I kind of walked around a little bit and listened to some of your small groups and you guys were into some good discussions about that. It sounded like it was resonating a bit with where you are. Well, tonight, I want to talk about uh, a little bit what keeps us maybe from moving on to that next place, but of where that good-to-go place might be for us, for you, for me. Um, but before we do that, I want us to kind of prepare our hearts a little bit. I told you guys we're going to be trying to do some spiritual practices, some, some prayer practices. Tonight, I want to do a Lectio Divina with you. Some of you have done that before. It's sacred reading. It's kind of dealing with Scripture kind of in a new way, kind of a meditative way, uh, preparing ourselves and our hearts for God to kind of speak into our time as we listen to and read Scripture. I need three volunteers, though. Uh, can I, three volunteers who actually have a Bible with them, unless, they, yeah, unless you know it by heart. Uh, or if you just, maybe if you just know Isaiah by heart. Uh, anybody want, okay, one right there. Uh, you need to look up Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. Another volunteer? Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. <laughs> See, there's a pattern here. And I need a third. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. Notice how that works? There's a, a variety of ways you can do Lectio Divina, but basically what it is, you want to hear a piece of scripture, uh, 
a couple, three times. It's nice when you have different voices actually reading it. And uh, you want to prepare your heart for it, prepare space for God to kind of meet you in the reading. You're going to be in the hearing of it. Uh, you want, I'm going to give you some chance to kind of ponder what is there. And then I'm going to give you a minute to pray back what you're discerning from that. What you heard, what word jumped out to you, at you, what promise you might have heard, what connection to your life uh, there might be. And we're going to do that three times. I'm going to guide you through it. But first, what I want you to do is prepare yourself, just like we did this morning. You know, get your feet on the ground. Can I, uh, I don't know where my friend Colleen is. She was up here with her hands open. Uh, uh, kind of get in a place to, that you're prepared for God meeting you uh, in this, uh, this practice. Uh, take some deep breaths. We've had a lot of fun. We sang some fun songs, and uh, the kids are now gone. Uh, so we can kind of kind of prepare ourselves. Some deep breaths. Uh, big one, two, three, four, five, four, three, two, one. Deep breaths. What are you aware of in this passage? How does it make you feel? Whatever you heard or experience in the reading. How does it make you feel? Now prayerfully share that with God.
Now hold on for a second to what, what's your takeaway from that first reading? Sir? Forty three, one and two. What do you find yourself aware of? Was there a word, a thought, a message, an image? Are you aware of a feeling, an emotion? Continue your conversation with God. Share wherever you're at, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're thinking. Share that experience with God. What's your takeaway from the second experience, second reading? Maybe it's the same. Maybe it's evolved into something else. Hold on to that. Third reading. But now, this is what the Lord said He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass 
pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Are you aware of something new in that passage? Something been reiterated for you? Something coming more into focus for you in that passage? God's word for you? feeling now. What do you want to share with God about your experience? What's your takeaway? Is it different than the first couple of times of hearing that scripture? Has that word become a sentence, a statement, a question? But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Amen. I chose that passage because it's a, a passage that talks about God's faithfulness. It's a passage about how God promises to be with us in the midst of danger, in the midst of turmoil, I'll be with you. 
fires I won't consume you, the rivers won't wash you away, whatever you're facing, I'm with you. So when you come to that hurdle of that journey of faith that you're on, and you're like, is this safe for me to do this? What's going to be on the other side? Who's going to be on the other side? Where will I be? I know where I am now, but where will I be then? Is it safe to do that? The scriptures, that passage that I chose, many others suggest that God is a faithful God. It's almost as if God is taunting us saying, take me at my word. Test me. See if I won't show up. See if I won't do what I said I would do. Take me at my word. Walk in that trust of that and see where you might end up. There's a lot of historical examples uh, uh, from the Old Testament of God's faithfulness. There's certainly many, many stories of God's faithfulness and his disciples and his followers in the first century. And I would bet if we went around this room, we would hear some pretty amazing stories of God's faithfulness. But it's interesting. (laughs) If you're at all like me, and I've been in the pastorate for a lot of years, and I'm guessing a lot of us are the same. What's happened in the past doesn't always inform my now. And it certainly doesn't necessarily inform my future. It's almost as if I have to make every decision based on the step I'm taking right now. The momentum that's been created by witnessing and experiencing and trusting God doesn't necessarily keep carrying me forward. Sometimes it does, but not always. Uh, one of the questions I think Pete asked us to talk about was, uh, at some point, was about favorite movies. Was that with you? It seems like we've been here for like a week already. <laughs> Maybe because they played Boo Doggy for an hour and a half. Uh, and I saw the, the Monument Men the other day. Excellent. And I wanted to see that before we had brought this wonderful speaker in from the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. And she came and talked about the Holocaust Museum and why it's important for for Christians to kind of understand what happened in the Holocaust and to stand alongside uh, the, pe- the Jewish people. Uh, and she also actually ended up being uh, a, a wonderful expert in Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a wonderful hero of the World War II. Not well known in that period, but certainly historically since then. 16 short, you know, 16 volumes is all he wrote, but he continued to inform us uh, and the generations since World War II. And she shared a story that was found that's not in any of his documents, but that story that he would tell uh, about growing up in Germany in World War II. And he, he tells the story that it, right in front of his house, uh, there had been a, 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 a collision of two military vehicles. One was a truck and the other was a, a motorcycle. He tells a story about how the mirror of the motorcycle was broken off and it was shattered in pieces. And one of his friends, Dietrich Bontag's friends, picked up a piece of that mirror. It was all jagged and, and, uh, and broken and he picked it up and, you know, they didn't have a lot of stuff to play with. And so he got kind of interested in this mirror and he began to take this jagged piece of mirror and he would rub it along the, the uh the bricks of the house or along the, the concrete of the street. And soon he had taken this jagged piece of mirror and he had formed it into this little circle. And he carried it everywhere he went. 
And the game was to see if he could take that little mirror and if he could reflect sunlight into dark places. And so that became his game. His childhood game and even into his adult life. He would see if he could get that mirror and if he could get, find that right angle that he could shine light into dark places. It's an interesting story. It's an interesting story too for people of faith. Why? Because it's interesting because that's not only what Jesus did, he claimed to be the light of the world and he was bringing light into the darkness. It was foretold in Isaiah and certainly talked about in the gospels. I'm the light of the world. If you walk with me, you won't walk in darkness any longer. And if that was Jesus' role in this world, it seems like followers of Jesus, that becomes kind of our role as well, that we are to be about the, the light, the hope that God has given us into the darkness of the world. But it's interesting. As much as I believe that's true, I believe that's part of our role as followers of Jesus, to emulate Jesus and to bring light into the dark places of this world, to, to be like that little mirror and catch the light and shine it into the darkness, illuminate those dark places, bring hope. It's funny how much I personally still choose to live in darkness. It's very interesting to me. For a lot of reasons, I oftentimes choose darkness over light. Well, part of it is because I just don't want to live in the boundaries that God's created for me. Even though if I step back and go, I certainly believe that God, the creator of me, and has a purpose and a plan for my life, and certainly believe that if I live with inside the boundaries that God has set for me, I'd probably have a much better life. I've given that speech before. And on a good day, I even believe that speech, and I've certainly passed it on to my kids, because that's what not only a good father does, but a good pastor father does. And, and I know I, I do believe that, but yet the choices I make in my life don't always suggest I believe that. We don't always like to live within the boundaries that God sets. I had the privilege of being a chaplain at Ground Zero just two weeks after the attack on New York City. I went to be a, a chaplain to the chaplains, but when we got there, there's a little group of two other pastors from uh, the Twin Cities and I, we went and we realized that the chaplains that were there doing their work were not done with their work and they were not going to be pushed aside because some pastors showed up from Minnesota. They were in it for the duration. And so when we got there, we realized we really didn't have a role there. But what we did was we went and uh, talked to the Salvation Army. It's, it's kind of a fun story the Salvation Army, I'll tell you just really quick, we went to the headquarters of the Salvation Army and we walked in the front door and as we walked in, it was this large kind of conference space and it was all divided up by uh, cubicles, all kinds of walls. You could hear phones ringing all over and people's voices were talking and we walked up to the front desk and I, and I said to the reception, I said, you know, we're, we're three pastors from uh, Minnesota and we're just wondering if there's anything we could do to help. Voice on the other side of the of the first cubicles. Also we hear, what? And also we're like, here comes a colonel of the Salvation Army around the corner and she looks at us, she says, say that again. 
That made me a little nervous. <laughs> We're three pastors from Minnesota. Is there anything we can do to help? She said, you're not going to believe this. We were just praying that God would send some clergy to help us. We're here. So we ended up getting to uh, do some amazing things with uh, the people that were there serving valiantly. And, but before that, we figured out to go hang out with the folks at Salvation Army, we realized we didn't have a role. You know, we had been invited, and, you know, just like everybody at that time, hey, is there, if there was something we could do to help New York City, we would want to do that, like every other American. So we showed up, didn't have a job. So what we decided we were going to do was we would just walk the peripheral of Ground Zero, and we would stop at all the little intersections, all the checkpoints, and we would ask the, the military, the police, the firefighters, whoever was there kind of guarding that space, is there anything we could pray for you about? We just would just like to offer some prayers. So we walked the peripheral of Ground Zero that first day. It took four hours, and we heard some amazing things and prayed for some amazing things, and uh, there's some great stories that came out of it. But one of the things that happened was as we got on the, uh, the uh, water side of Ground Zero, there was, had been a conference center and there was a courtyard that was set up and it was one of those areas where people had left all kinds of signs and uh, all kinds of gifts and flowers and things like that. And we just paused to say a prayer for all that that represented. And all of a sudden there was this couple that was standing there. Now we decided, even though I'm a Protestant pastor, we decided we were going to wear clerical collars because it would make us easily recognized as clergy, uh, and, uh, which I had never worn before, which I'm thinking, that's a pretty sweet deal. Get you on buses for free. <laughs> I don't know, who knew? Uh, but uh, we were positive, and all of a sudden this, this couple came up and they were saying, you know, this, they, they had gone to school in New York City and that they had come back because they were going to spend some of their um, vacation dollars there to kind of help the city, you know, they come back. And they were starting to read the cards and we were reading the cards and all of a sudden the, the man in the group, he caught my elbow and he said, can I talk to you for a second? Actually, he said, Father, can I talk to you for a second? There's lots of those stories that come out of that about becoming Father Jeff. You ask me about it at lunch or something sometime. There's some funny, funny, great stories. But a lot of very serious stories. Well, this was one of those serious stories. And he said, Father Jeff, Father, can I speak to you for a second? So well, pulled aside. I said, well, I'm actually, you know, not a priest. I said, I'm a Protestant pastor. He said, I don't think that matters. Okay. He says, I need to offer confession. And I, because I need, I need resolution. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, let me explain how this kind of was going to work because it's going to be a little different if you're Catholic. And he says, I don't think it matters. I said, okay. So he starts telling me the story about the fact that he's been having an affair for five years and is still in this affair. And he says, I just need to be forgiven. I said, well, it's a little more complicated than that. I said, have you told your wife? No. So you're still not reconciled with her? No. She says, I just need to get reconciled with God. I said, I don't think that's how it works. So we started talking about it. He goes, well, can't you just forgive me and I can move on? I said, you plan to leave this relationship? No. So it gets more complicated than that. I said, there are boundaries 
that God has set for us so that we can experience the fullness of our marriages, our life. He said, yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, I don't think you can just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he goes, so are you going to help me or not? I said, I'm really trying to. So here comes his wife. So I signaled my other pastor friend and I go. <laughs> he takes her and goes, let's go look over here. I said, here's what I think you need to do. I think you need to spend some time talking to your wife. I think you need to ask for grace and mercy from her first. I said, because God's going to be a little easier on you if you really come to him and ask for his forgiveness. And I'll never forget his look on his face because what he said was, I'm not ready for that. And they walked off. And I have thought about them many, many times about whatever happened with them. He wanted to be in a relationship with God. He wanted reconciliation with God, but he didn't want to live in the boundaries that God had set for him in his marriage and I'm going to guess maybe in some other aspects of his life. He was still living kind of in the darkness, kind of just where he was stuck. You see, if we really want to experience the fullness of what God has for us, we have to we have to live within the boundaries. I had the opportunity to go to Juneau, Alaska, the, the summer before my senior year in high school with an organization called Teen Missions. It was my very first kind of real away-from-home mission experience that who knew that God was going to prepare me for many, many, many others after that. So we were gone for two months. When we got to Juneau, Alaska, we were staying at a place called Echo Lake Bible Camp, and it was about 90 miles outside of Juneau. It was out in this rural area, surrounded by mountains, right on the ocean. It was just an incredible place. I happened to be in the camp director's office, and I was looking at an aerial photograph of this camp. And I noticed that up on one of the mountains was a lake. And I said, wow, there's a lake at the top of that mountain. Amazing what that might What's that all about? He goes, as far as I know, I don't know if anybody's ever been up there before. I said, what? Uncharted lake? <laughs> we could be adventurers. We got a one day a week, every week. And so I talked our leaders and the camp director into letting myself and two other guys go find this lake. And they said, but here's the deal. You have to be back before it gets dark. Okay, we can do that. How far away is that? We have no idea. No one's ever been up there before. But can we name the lake after us if we find it? <laughs> he goes, I don't know how that works, but sure. So we set off early in the morning, but we've got to be back before it gets dark because in Alaska, out in the wilderness, when it gets dark, it's dark. We're going to run up that mountain, go find the lake, claim it as our own. We'll be back before dinner. So we set off. Well, the brush and the woods and the rocks, and a little bit rougher terrain than we thought. So we are trying to make our way. We're trying because we're going to find a lake that no one's ever been to before. It's going to be the most exciting thing we've done to that point. We can't find it. We search, we search, and we're like, we really, 
We need to start heading back because it's going to get dark. We better start heading back. It's got to be here somewhere. Remember they said we have to be back before it gets dark? Really? Can't be five minutes. Got to get back. So, we give up the hopes of seeing this lake and we start heading down. But as we're heading down, we're realizing it's getting dark fast. We're thinking, oh man, we're going to be in so much trouble if we don't get back down. Not to mention the fact that we're going to be out in the Alaskan wilderness overnight by ourselves. We're more worried about the people who are going to do to us than anything in the wilderness. Well, at one point, we realize we're not going to get down. It's pitch black. We're now holding hands so we don't lose each other. And we're walking down. At one point, I, I really believe, and still to this day, years and years later, still think I heard the word stop. So I said to these guys, I said, you know what? We don't know where we're going. It's pitch black dark. We're already in trouble. Let's just hang out here until it gets light. So we did. We sat down. And we all kind of slumbered a little bit. I'll never forget when it became first light. We thought we better just book back down. We stood up. And as we stood up, from here to Scott, about a 200-foot drop. See, we weren't going down. We were cutting across. In the dark, we had lost our way. If we'd have gone any further, I don't know what tragedy would have happened. Actually, that might have been better to fall than to face the camp counselors, but <laughs> we got down and we survived. But outside the boundaries... You stumble around. You can fall. You can find yourself in a place you never intended to be, just like we did. Sometimes we find ourselves not experiencing the light that God desires for us because we just don't trust God enough. We know what he says. We've maybe even experienced the taste of what he is willing to do in our lives. We've seen and heard the testimonies of other people but we just don't trust him enough. Does, God doesn't always do what I want him to do. He doesn't always act the way I want him to act. He doesn't always fulfill his promises the way I see it, imagine it to happen. Well, if we're going to reflect God's light, the light that Jesus exemplified in his life, then we need to begin to live our lives in such a way that God can become that light to our life. And as he illuminates our path and becomes a light to our feet, as the scripture says, we can begin to experience the light in our own life that begins to show us, to lead us in the direction that God desires for us, that we might experience all of what he intends for us, the fullness of the life he intends for us, but also then to become that transformational light in the darkness of the world around us. I'm going to read one more passage and then we're going to close. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who live in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the trampling warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has born, been born for us, a son given to us, and authority rests upon his shoulders. And he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do that. God is trustworthy. He's still speaking into this world. That's where forevermore comes from. He desires for us to experience the fullness of the life that he has in store for us. And the ways that we do that is by learning to trust him, living inside the boundaries that he's created for us. And if we do, we will become lights to our family, to our spouses, to our friends, and to the world that God has in store for us. Let us pray. God, we're grateful. We're grateful. We're grateful that not only have you given us this life, but you have shown us how in your son Jesus. And you continue to desire to lead us and to guide us. Help us to understand the boundaries upon which you have called us to. To live the lives that you've called us to live. That we might truly continue to bring your light into this world. And to experience the fullness of that for us ourselves. For we praise these things in your son's name. Amen.